welcome to the 13th episode of the Building Spiritual Capacity Podcast, where we are building immovable disciples through faith, study, and action. In the last episode, we talked about the army value of integrity and how Caleb and Joshua displayed elite spiritual integrity as they came back from their mission as spies with the 10 other spies, and yet they gave the faithful and true report to Moses uh, about whether Israel would be successful against the people in Canaan. And this was in opposition to uh, all of the other spies who, uh, in fear, gave a false report. In this episode, we'll be focusing on on the army value of personal courage. And we'll uh, specifically look at Elijah and how he demonstrated personal courage in his ministry from 1 Kings chapter 18. In particular, our points to ponder this week were, how does Elijah's faith in God increase his personal courage in this story? And then uh, was also to ponder a goal that we may want to set to take on something that is challenging for you. Uh, This is uh, what Elijah does here. He takes on the challenge. uh, He faces it with courage. And in other examples, we're going to look at how he, he displayed personal courage. Before we move into the context and on with the with the podcast. I do want to highlight that as I record this episode today, it's the day before Memorial Day, and uh, I've had the privilege in my career of serving with several uh, who have made the ultimate sacrifice for the cause of freedom, uh, defending people all around the world. Uh, and this is an important weekend, to, and Memorial Day is an important time to honor them, their sacrifice as well as the sacrifice of their family members uh, who supported them in their calling and in their careers and in their missions. Uh, So thank you to all those who have supported, whether family members or friends or others, those that have died uh, in service to their country and in the cause of freedom. A couple weeks ago, we were looking at Elijah and gave some context about who he was and uh, how he served God and the children, the tribes of Israel during his ministry. Uh, We talked about how Elijah displayed uh, an elite level of spiritual capacity. Uh, He was extraordinarily in tune to what God wanted him to do. He knew how to communicate with him, which is, again, what we're striving to learn how to do. Uh, Through prayer, through study, we're learning to hear what God wants us to hear, and we're learning to immediately act on those things, no matter what the danger or how afraid we might be or how much of a challenge it is. And that's the part I want to focus on with Elijah here today. God communicated with him numerous times in his life and told him to go into danger. Uh, Elijah was so well known in the land that, that King Ahab the king of Israel, for most of Elijah's ministry, had people looking all over the place for him, uh, inevitably to to kill him, uh, to destroy him, because he was causing so much trouble in Ahab's view uh, in the land of Israel. Remember, Elijah was the one who called down the famine, and God honored that request, and there was a drought and a famine in the land for, for, for years three years about, uh, at least. So here Elijah uh, is, in Ahab's mind, is kind of the enemy. 
So anytime Elijah has to go face King Ahab or his wife, uh, Queen Jezebel, he's risking his own life. Uh, we see this uh, in this chapter, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to see this, but also uh, later on in chapter 19, we see Elijah is called on and Jezebel wants to kill Elijah. Uh, we see Elijah goes and, and tells, tells Ahab and Jezebel um, in 1 Kings chapter 21 uh, that God calls him and tells, uh, tells him to go you know, prophesy and to go tell Jezebel and Ahab to repent, to stop worshiping the gods that they're worshiping. And each time they do this, Jezebel wanted him dead. Ahab wanted him dead. Uh, he runs into, uh, Elijah runs into a man, uh, his name is Obadiah, who seems to be uh, loyal to the prophets that were in Israel for a time when Jezebel was trying to kill all the prophets of, of Israel, of the God of Israel. Uh, Obadiah actually hid numerous prophets in a cave so that they wouldn't be killed. Uh, so he's a friend to prophets, and, and Elijah runs into him in chapter 18 here. Uh, and, Obadiah, and Obadiah tells him, yeah, King Ahab and Jezebel believe that you're the one causing all these problems here, and they are looking to get rid of you. Um, later on, Elijah tells the new king, so Ahab leaves, uh, and he, he tells the new king, God sends him to go see uh, uh, the new king of Israel. And uh, Elijah has a not a great message. We talk about sometimes in my profession speaking truth to power, and sometimes uh, leaders, they, they don't want to hear criticism, or they don't want to hear that, hey, things aren't going super well. Uh, and none of us do. None of us want to hear that, that we could be improving or we could do better. Uh, but certainly, uh, Elijah's job here is to tell Ahab and to tell Jezebel and to tell uh, the new king of Israel as well that it is, uh, if you don't change your ways, you're going to die. I'm prophesying this is what's going to happen to you because of who you are and the wickedness that you are displaying. So here we are, uh, Elijah has to go speak to these people knowing that full well that, they, that he could die. Uh, later on, Elijah faces three sets of 50 men that come to, uh, come to get him. The king wants to see Elijah and wants to talk to Elijah and ultimately wants to kill Elijah. And Elijah recognizes this. So when the 50 uh, people come, there's three different teams or three different units of 50 men who are sent to go get Elijah. Uh, Elijah, again, is faced with, the, with death, and he has to display his own personal courage. Uh, he calls down fire from heaven, which is one of his favorite tactics, it sounds like, uh, based on all these, all these different stories. But he, he calls down fire to, to destroy the first two sets of 50 people. And then uh, finally the third one comes and says, look, look, I don't want to be killed. I'm just doing my job here. I, I will make sure you get there safely. I'm not here to kill you. Uh, and, uh, and the Lord tells Elijah that it's okay. It's okay for him to go with, with the, the third group of 50. But we see that Elijah faces these life or death scenarios. And, and certainly the challenge that he's going to issue uh, for everybody to, to observe and to witness here in chapter 18 
Elijah, certainly the consequence is going to be death. So whichever side loses will, will die. So again, he had taken some personal courage, informed by his faith and his elite spiritual capacity. Because he knows the mind and the will of God. He's seen the miracles of God. And therefore, he has the confidence to stand there with personal courage to take on, to take on these, these priests that he's going to take on in this challenge, in this chapter. And it's very interesting to me. Uh, it reminds me of Paul's statement in, in the New Testament where he, he refers to the idea that, if, that God hath not given us the spirit of fear. He tells that to Timothy because if you have faith in God, then you will have that courage and that confidence to go forward and do whatever God needs you to do. Uh, another kind of little side note there. So let's see uh, how it works with Elijah in this particular chapter, his experiences. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 18, we see that uh, Elijah comes to face Ahab. And Ahab asked him, why are you troubling Israel? You've caused all of these problems. You're telling us that we're bad and we need to repent. You've called this famine down from, uh, from heaven. Why are you troubling Israel? And Elijah's response is a very bold response, again, with, with courage. He says, I'm not the one that's troubling Israel. In verse 18, he says, you've been worshiping false gods. That's where the trouble is. You, you've, you brought this on yourself. In verse 19, then, Elijah issues the challenge. He says, gather to Mount Carmel 400 of the priests of Baal and 450 of the priests of Asheroth, uh, the god that Jezebel worships. A little bit of understanding here. The Baal was uh, one of the false gods that the, the Israelites were worshiping. Uh, they also uh, worshipped uh, the the Baal was a male version of the god. His his female counterpart was named Asheroth. Uh, it's referred to here uh, about groves, or um, later on we hear about the cedars. Uh, in different parts of the scriptures, these are representative of fertility, and uh, this this queen Asheroth, uh, or this this god Asheroth, she is the fertility goddess. Uh, along with the worship, there were different, uh, you know, immoral things that were going on. Uh, and, of course, the, one of Moses' top ten is, is thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Uh, so it's a huge issue for God that, that the Israelites are following these false gods. Israel, so Elijah asked the children of Israel, again, this is not a conversation that's just happening uh, just Ahab and, and Elijah. It's a conversation that's being had with a group of people around them. And Elijah asked the people, well, uh, how long will you halt between two gods, right? Between two different opinions, two different philosophies. And what he's saying there is uh, halting means that how long will you be limping between these two gods? You keep going back and forth. You go from the God of Israel, Jehovah, and then you go to these other gods, and then you kind of limp back and forth. And I think it's interesting that he says halt there and, and uses this imagery of, of limping because 
really the people are are broken they're they're weakened and and we all are uh, but instead of going back and forth if you just kind of stand firm with one then uh, then you'll be sure and you'll be able to walk freely but they keep going back and forth as in, injured people between the two philosophies uh, whichever one is serving them the best of the time I suppose uh, so then he says verse 21 he says Let, let's see what happens let's have a contest bring me the priests 850 of them uh, versus me just one and we'll see if the God of Israel Jehovah is truly the God, or if it is Baal. Uh, he then uh, re-emphasizes the odds, right? One prophet in Israel versus all of the priests uh, that he's called to, to challenge. 400 plus 450. Uh, I'm not great at math, but 850 is what I'm, what I'm tracking there. So one versus 850, uh, not, not great odds, if you're looking from a worldly perspective. He says, here's the rules of engagement. Each team is going to get one bull, a young bull, to put on the altar. They're going to build their altar, they're going to have the wood, and then they're going to have one bull there. Now, there were times where priests might have been unscrupulous, if you can imagine, these false priests, and... And so Elijah says, look, we're not going to put any fire underneath the sacrifice. Uh, apparently, maybe there have been theatrics used in the past, a little Hollywood magic, if you will, um, and maybe some priests used, again, some, some devious means to uh, show the power of their God. And maybe uh, it's been suggested by some scholars that, that on these altars there was some way to produce fire and send fire up from underneath uh, so it looks like there was no fire, but then you, you stoke it a little bit or you do something. Um, and then all of a sudden the God, quote unquote, makes the fire appear and burn up the sacrifice. But uh, Elijah is very conscious of this. And he says, look, we're not going to put any fire underneath. We'll have the wood, we'll have the altar, and we'll have the bull. And all we are allowed to do is just call on our God to bring down fire or to burn the sacrifice in some fashion, and whichever God does that will be the true God here in this land. Whichever God, he says in verse 24, whichever God answers by fire is the words, words he uses in that verse. All right, now that the rules of engagement have been discussed, the rules of the game, Elijah then offers to the 850 priests, it's your turn first. Let's see what Baal has to do and what he can accomplish. So, uh, starting in verse 26, we see that the, uh, the priests of Baal, uh, they, they took the bullock which was given to them. They dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. So they start calling on Babel from morning until noon. All morning they're calling on his name to send down fire, to burn up the sacrifice. Nothing was happening. So they started jumping up and down and, and 
carrying on even greater, yelling and screaming, uh, making quite a commotion, and yet Baal still did not respond. So in verse 27, we see Elijah again with his confidence that he had. Uh, some might call it arrogance. We would say maybe in the sports world that Elijah started to trash talk the priests, the 850 priests that were before him. He says in verse 27, he says, uh, it came to pass at, at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud for he is God. Either he is a Either he is talking, or he's pursuing, or he's in a journey, or, or maybe he's sleeping. Peradventure, he's sleeping and must be awake. So Elijah is clearly pointing out, I'm sure the whole, all of the people that are there to witness this contest are already uh, familiar with, and they already can see that nothing is happening. Uh, but Elijah then pours salt in the wound and begins a trash talk. Well, why don't you le- yell a little louder? Maybe you're not yelling loud enough. Uh, maybe he's maybe he's talking to somebody. He's got he's got other things he's doing. As he's having a conversation with somebody else, or pursuing, or he's got other things he's focused on. Um, maybe he took a trip. Maybe he's on a journey right now. And you just can't get a hold of him. Or maybe he's just asleep. He gives them all these options, and uh, and again is mocking them. Clearly, they get frustrated. So we see that in verse 28. They yell even louder. They start yelling louder. They start carrying on even more. They even cut themselves with knives and with lances, and blood uh, begins to start pouring all over the ground and all over themselves. And this is a practice that we see in uh, other traditions as well. We see it uh, in early Christianity and, and in other places. We've seen uh, people to show their devotion to God they're willing to bleed for him. Uh, and so this is what the priests are doing here. They're just sh- trying to show that they're very committed. They're very sincere. You know, it's interesting to think about because I think there's, there's people in the world who are very sincere uh, about their beliefs and they feel very strongly and they're willing to bleed and to die for them. But the question is whether they're, they're doing that uh, for a good reason or, or not whether that's the sacrifice that you're making, no matter how sincere it is, it might not be for the right purpose. And it's something for us to think about uh, in our own lives. What are those things that we really put uh, and we really believe in, but uh, may be not the right place to put our energy and our devotion and our worship. So the 850 priests continue this process for all the way until the evening time. All day long, when it comes time for the, the appointed evening sacrifice, uh, now they're, they, they've prayed and nothing has happened. Baal has not bailed them out, uh, to use a, a pun, I suppose, there. Uh, he has not rescued them. He has not burnt the sacrifice. Nothing has happened, proving that their God is an impotent God with no power. By evening time, Elijah has seen enough, and it's time to show the people uh, during this evening sacrifice time what the God of Israel, Jehovah himself, can do and who the real God is in Israel. Elijah gathers the people together in verse 30, and he repairs the altar that was previously destroyed. Uh, He then... uh, 
takes 12 stones, and these 12 stones, of course, represent the tribes of Israel. Uh, and then not only does he repair the altar, he takes the stones and he rebuilds the altar using these 12 stones. But then he also uh, digs a trench around the altar. After that, verse 33, we see that he puts, uh, he puts the wood on the altar. He prepares the sacrifice as you would normally uh, ceremonially prepare the sacrifice, lays it on the wood, and then he orders some other folks to pour four barrels of water on the offering. Now, uh, in the King James, it says barrels. Uh, other places, you might see jars of water on the offering. Uh, but I don't know that it's the typical size of, the, of a mason jar. So somewhere probably in between, like a, uh, I'm picturing in both cases, I'm picturing like the Old West, that where uh, the, the barrels where they put, uh, um, put alcohol in um, or maybe a, a mason jar. Um, also, ironically, I'm picturing mason jars that people use to put moonshine in, perhaps. Um, but either way, you're, you're somewhere in between there probably is how big these uh, jars or barrels of water are. Either way, he douses the sacrifice and the wood and the altar with water. Again, to demonstrate that Jehovah can do anything. Uh, wet wood doesn't burn so well. The water on there obviously is going to suppress any fires that might come. But Elijah is so confident and so courageous in this moment because he is so spiritually in tune, again, elite level of spiritual capacity, and he knows that God, the God of Israel, will come through for him. They pour these four jars or barrels of, of water over the sacrifice, and then Elijah further demonstrating his faith and courage and confidence in God, tells them to do it two more times. There is so much water that's been poured on the altar that it fills the trench that surrounds the altar. Then in verse 36 and verse 37, we see Elijah. He says, it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known that this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Now what a testimony, what, again, spiritual courage Elijah demonstrates. He's reminding, you know, words are important. Words are important when prophets are speaking. He says, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, reminding them of their spiritual heritage. The covenant, reminding them again of that covenant that God made with this people, that they would be his people, that he would be their God, and that Abraham's posterity would continue and grow uh, as covenanted with God and Abraham. Reminding the people of all the miracles, essentially, that had already been done that perhaps they'd forgotten. Again, another interesting point is we're trying to build our spiritual capacity. 
it's a great way to remind ourselves. And that, again, this is why we read the scriptures. This is why we're, we're intensely studying because we're seeing how God operates and reminding ourselves that with those that God has promised his covenant, he will strengthen you. He will bless you. Uh, he will rescue you. He will forgive you even if you've strayed. He will continue to have patience with you and forgive you. What a huge principle in, uh, that the Old Testament gives us. To see this pattern over and over and over and over and over again, where the children of Israel stray from God, worship other gods, are disloyal, violate that commandment, and yet God is still willing to demonstrate his power uh, because of his will and his purposes and his mercy that they may be accomplished. So Elijah is reminding them of the God that he serves and reminding them that, look, you, you can see what I've been doing here and that God is blessing me because he honors my word. He honors what I say. After that, in verse 37, Elijah continues, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then, in verse 38, immediately following that prayer, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones, the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. So not only did God just burn the sacrifice with a little mini fire, but in some way, we don't know the answer exactly, but in some way, a fire from heaven descended or spontaneously occurred and consumed the sacrifice, the bull itself, consumed all of the wood, the ashes, the dust, it consumed the altar, consumed all of the water surrounding in the trench. Everything burned up by God. At that moment, the people fall on their faces, and they declare that Jehovah, the God of Israel, is the one and only true God in the land of Israel. Not Baal, not Asheroth, not these other gods that have been introduced, but God Jehovah is the God of Israel. We later see, as mentioned before, that the result of Elijah winning is that all of the priests were put to death. So I, we, can, we can confidently analyze and we can confidently make an assumption that Elijah, had he lost or had nothing happened, maybe even if it was a draw, the people would have said, well, uh, or, or the king would have killed Elijah. Uh, so again, facing death in multiple instances, Elijah demonstrates personal courage, extraordinary faith, and confidence in the God of Israel who had shown him before his power. Uh, this is where we want to get this elite level of spiritual capacity where we can be in tune with what God wants us to do in our lives. We study, we try to understand, we listen for God's answers, we see the answers coming through the scriptures, we 
we get to know God because we've studied and we've seen how he acts in the scriptures with his children, that will give us the confidence then to act with great spiritual capacity and faith. Uh, and then we'll, we will be improved disciples of God because we'll continue to have that greater confidence uh, that we, we know how he communicates with us. And we've seen the blessings as we act on those promptings that we get from him. Our point to ponder, one of our points to ponder was actually more of an action this week, which was to set a goal, uh, something that's challenging for you, uh, that you've maybe you've wanted to do and you just haven't accomplished it yet. Set a challenging goal. And then as part of our immediate action is to, is to pray and ask God to help us to accomplish this goal. And then to log our progress and share with others our experience. So set your goal. And in fact, let's not call it a goal. Maybe even let's call it a covenant. Set a you know, covenant with God uh, today. I invite you to covenant with God today that you are going to do something. Uh, and you'll see a tremendous power, I believe, as you, as you set this goal, as you work to accomplish it with God covenanting with you as well uh, to help support you. I think that'll be a powerful opportunity for you. Uh, but also make sure you share it. Log your progress. Maybe keep a journal, an audio journal or, or, a, uh, or a handwritten journal. And then share your progress with somebody. So set a goal for three, four, five months, maybe a few weeks, whatever it is. And, uh, and then log your progress as you're going. Uh, and that will also serve as your accountability partner for this particular goal. The next episode, we're going to wrap up our series here on the Army Values. In particular, we're going to talk about the army value of honor, which the definition of that term is that you live all of the previous army values that we've talked about. So we'll see at a soldier, we'll see how a soldier lived with honor. It's a very fascinating part of the story that you've heard many times before usually is referred to as a very tragic story in the Old Testament, but I want to look specifically at this figure of Uriah, who was a soldier, uh, had some very difficult challenges, and ended up dying, but uh, is a person that we would, I would certainly say, died with honor. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to look at him next week. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Again, feel free to read chapters before and after and get the context of the story. Uh, points to ponder, what is Uriah's role in the story? Uh, how did Uriah display honor as a soldier in his profession uh, and for who he was? And in what way was uh, King David, who was another important figure in the story, how was he dishonorable in the story? Then uh, take some time, our action for the week is to take some time to write down uh, how we want to be perceived by our loved ones, by God, uh, and by all those who uh, we surround ourselves with or we're, we're surrounded by. I think the answer is we want them to see us as people of honor. And how is our life reflecting that desire? So until next time, remember to trust God and do his will. Mm -hmm.